Thoughts for public consumption. It's your boy Mitch Marshawn, and uh, this is a big deal. It's a big deal. Ten episodes of anything is pretty fucking dope. And uh, right off the top, gotta give a humongous, humongous shout out to all the Thought Vomit listeners that have kept me going. Um, you guys are engaging with me on social media, talking about what you like about the episodes, what you don't like, and I'm trying to make those adjustments as per. Couldn't do this with my, my, my boy producer DJ Kaz One Uno The big kahuna And uh, my girl Ima Wima For all the hot topics She's been uh, providing me Week to week So Just want to get that uh, Out the way Wow You know Here's the thing about This 10th episode Of Thought Vomit This episode Is kind of special In that normally I'm gonna like Let you behind the uh, Behind the screen A little bit On uh what we do, we normally tape thought vomits on Saturday. So the week that was, was, it already happened. We already let it go down. But at the time, at the time you guys will hear this, I will have been performing in Cleveland, Ohio, the home of LeBron James and J.R. Smith <laughs> for now. <laughs> and uh, I will, uh, I perform with Marlon Wayans uh, this weekend this past weekend so I'm taping this a little early this episode's coming a little bit earlier than normal and so we're gonna do things a little bit differently normally on Thought Vomit we uh spit a whole lot about uh topics that have happened over the course of the week pop culture music sports politics and um a lot of that is going down but uh I'm going to do something a little special this week. And I'm going to talk about some of my personal favorites. Things that I just absolutely love. Now, if you guys know anything about me, you know that I am a writer um, in Hollywood. As a matter of fact, this week, make sure you guys watch Marlon on Thursday nights on NBC at 9 and 9.30. There's two episodes. And I write for that show. And then... At 10 o'clock, after Marlon's over, you guys can go to the Paramount Network and catch the second half of season four of my show, Lip Sync Battle. That's right. I do write for Lip Sync Battle as well. That's right. LL is not just up there riffing. I put that stuff on paper and I write it with my Queen's dialect for LL Cool J. So um, make sure you tune into that. Support the work. But I'm a writer, but I'm also a stand-up comedian. And I started doing stand-up about eight years ago. And it was because when I started doing stand-up, I um, at the time had been writing for comedians for years. And when I say writing for comedians, I want to be clear. Like, I wasn't writing people's, like, stand-up material. But, you know, when, when as a writer on award shows, you have to write monologues. So I would be a part of the team that would, would gather uh, the, the material to write the monologue. And uh, in that, I was able to, um, you know, I've been able to work with pretty much everybody, man. Like all the guys that your current 
favorite comedian, the guy that's on stage right now, I've been fortunate enough to write for him. And that means, you know, from, you know, Kevin Hart to uh, Mike Epps to Jamie Foxx, Marlon Wayans, you know, I've been able to, I've been, I've had a blessed life being able to write for these guys and to be around them and understand their process. When I started doing stand-up comedy, I started doing it in Atlanta, Georgia. That's when I lived in Atlanta, Georgia. And this is back when I was the um, co-head writer of the Monique show, which was uh, Monique's late night talk show. And this was during the time that, you know, Monique was, you know, literally killing the game. Um, you know, bring every every weekend she came back with another award because this is during the time that uh, the award season when she won the Academy Award for Precious. But at, prior to that, she won the Golden Globe and it was just an amazing time to be around her and that energy. And Monique has always been, you know, super duper uh, loving and gracious to me. And, you know, like I was kind of, she had uh, a couple of writers on the staff that she knew. And I was the oddball. I was the guy that I, could, I think the network wanted. So we all combined energies and um, got together and, and formed a, a, the right squad for Monique. But it was fun to be around her, to be around somebody that's just, you know, so energetic about life and so inspirational. I mean, like, the thing about Monique, I know it's like a lot of people have uh, taken shots of her for her stance on Netflix. But I just, I, I can't ever, ever front on her and her contribution to my life. And I, and I say that to say this. When I lived in Atlanta... I lived alone. I lived on my own. I was out there um, for like nine months at a time, and I would go home and visit my my wife and kids like every three weeks or so. And so, you know, when you out and about, you know, you get in, you get into some adventures. And I used to always um, in the morning when we, we would like pitch Monique the uh, monologues, we would you know kind of talk about our day, our, our, day, our days or our nights and things that happen. And I always had some wild shit happening. <laughs> it's kind of crazy because I was just always like, you know, I, I don't know how I got home. I got so drunk. Like it was, it, I was doing the most, the most. But anyway, but one time in particular, I was telling Monique this story and she just laughed so hard. She started crying and it was kind of, it was, a, it was a beautiful thing because I, I you know, I, I knew enough to know that I was telling the story in a way that was funny and it made her laugh but <laughs> so she ended up like start, she started crying like she was laughing so hard she started crying which mess, which kind of messed up a little bit of our production day because they had to reapply her makeup and stuff anyway the day happens later on that afternoon I get called down to her dressing room and you know when when the boss calls you into the office, it's like, uh oh, what did I do? So I go downstairs to her um, her dressing room, and her and her husband are sitting there. Her husband Sydney Hicks and Monique. If you like see Monique, you know when she's like, "Hello, my babies," and when she like she's real direct and she's talking to you. I mean, that's not an act. That's really how she is. So she was giving me like that direct, you know. Eye to eye contact She was dead ass serious And she was like I'm gonna tell you something That I don't tell many people And I'm thinking like Damn I'm about to get fired In my mind The way she's looking at me And Sydney's kind of just 
sitting. He had a, he had a de- we were like they had an office like as a part of their dressing room, and so Sydney had a desk down there, and he was sitting behind the desk, and she was like in a chair on the other side of it, and I was on a couch, and I'm like, this feels like I'm about to get fired, and it I was like just like just thinking about damn like. How am I going to pay my rent? <laughs> How am I going to like? I'm I'm thinking all this stuff kind of while she's talking because you no, know, she was teeing something up. What she told me was that she never suggests people do things. She likes to allow people to follow their own design, and then you know what what Monique would do is support that. You know, if you want to be a sports writer, she'll support that. If you want to be a singer, she'll support that. And obviously, she had named me co-head writer of her show, so she supported me as a writer. But what she told me that day uh, was that I'm not getting fired, <laughs> which was good. So I could pay my rent. But what she told me was that, is that I need to try stand-up comedy. Like, I need to give it a real shot. And I just, you know, I don't, I don't know what was stopping me from doing it. Um, it was probably a little bit of fear, but I just didn't feel the need. I was kind of comfortable being the guy behind the guy, being the guy that, you know, I mean, trust me, anytime I wrote a monologue and a joke died, I died with it. <laughs> you know, it, it was bad, but I didn't want to, I, I don't think I, 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 at the time I was, uh, I guess I was afraid to put myself out there. So after we, uh, Monique and I have that conversation, I go back uh, to the writer's room and I'm in a writer's room with straight up comedy beasts. Like I'm in there with Rodney Perry. I'm in there with Akintunde Warnock. I'm in there with Vanessa Fraction. I'm in there with uh, Tone X. Uh, you know, I'm in there with comedians that literally when they're not writing, they're touring. Like these guys are all vets in the game, all funny. And I told them what happened. And... You know, I guess it had been kind of buzzing in the in the writers' room that I, you know, every once in a while that I should do it, and so I told them what happened, and you know, they were all like not shocked. They were like, "Yeah, well, we've been telling you that too. You need to, you need to do stand up. You need to go ahead and do it." And so I guess I was a little bit feeling myself, and I was like, "You know, I right, fuck it, man. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it in a month. I need time to get an act together. So like, give me a month." But I wasn't really serious. Like, I wasn't, like, completely committed to it. I was just saying it to get people off my back. Because I figured, you know, you agree to it, you don't really have to do it. You can just kind of, I can continue putting it off. So, the next day I get to the office, and we had, like, a dry erase board in our office. And in that office, (laughs) on the dry erase board, the next day after I had this whole conversation with the writing staff and Monique about doing stand-up, Somebody had uh, written on the top of the uh, of the dry erase board. They wrote "Days until Mitch does stand up," and it had the number thirty, which was a month, basically thirty days, a month. And every day, that number, which I don't, I don't, and it's, it's crazy because I don't know who did it. Maybe it was the, our assistant at the time was doing it, but every day that number just dwindled down. Until it literally got to the place where, like, I had five days. And so, 
you know, I made, I, I, I kind of, I knew I was, I had to do it. And it was funny because Vanessa Fraction has started um, a, a, a comedy night on Monday nights called Make Me Laugh Mondays. Big shout out to her and my boy Rod Rose who started, um, which is now like a, a, a really substantial comedy institution down there. I've met a lot of great comedians in Atlanta through that room. So I told Vanessa, I was like, yo, let me let me do it and make me laugh Mondays. Now, like I said, at the time, it had just started. So make me laugh Mondays was like the cool thing we all did, you know, from the office. We'd go hang out there and watch the comics. But, I mean, at the time, it was still very new. So, they, you know, it wasn't a whole lot of people in it. So I figured it would be perfect for me. Like, it would be absolutely fucking perfect if, you know, I could basically say that I did stand up within the month that I said I was going to do it and do it to a crowd of like maybe nine to 15 people. I would have been very happy with that. But like I said, I worked on a television show. So the word got around to all everybody in production that <laughs> Mitch was going to be doing stand-up. Now, I'm, I'm, I was a pretty funny guy around the office. That's I was office funny. But, you know, everybody was interested. So, uh, as fate would have it, I walk in and make me laugh Mondays. Like I did every Monday before then. And this shit was packed. I mean, everybody from work came. Everybody. It was like, it was like a fucking moment. And then I got really fucking nervous. Now, like, prior to that, like, you know, that weekend, I literally stayed in my apartment and, um... In Atlanta All weekend long And I was just like Working on my material And I would call My comedian friends Like I would call Chris Spencer And I remember I called Marlon Wayans You know I called my boy Two Ray From Philly Like I, I called like All the comedians That I respected Like that were friend, I was friendly with To kind of go over My material with them And they gave me Some tweaks And some notes And So basically I went on stage And fell in love I fell in love with it like I got my first laugh on my on my first punchline and it was like it's like nothing I've ever felt before in my life it was the the, the same way I felt the day that my all my kids were born you know it was just like this this instant love and this instant uh, commitment it, you know it felt bigger than me it felt like something that, you know, like, a, like a, a calling, you know, if you will. And from that day to this day, eight years later, I've added stand-up comedian to my resume of things that I do. But, you know, in terms of my background with comedy, I've always been a fan of the art form. I mean, from the time I was a little kid, I remember back when... um we first got that VCR. Remember like back in the day when you got your VCR? And I had like a, a, a top-loading VCR. I'll never forget this. In my um, <laughs> living room. And my sister, Lisa, we had the um, Eddie Murphy Delirious. And I remember I was a little kid. I wasn't supposed to watch it. But, you know, you know how you like, in the, people are in the living room and you in the other room, but you can hear all the material. So, like, I knew the material. And I remember I used to get home before anybody when I came home from school. So I used to watch it <laughs> on the low 
and rem- that was bef- when you had to like remember when the thing started, the tape started. So then you would have to rewind it after you watched it back to that same point, so nobody knew you watched it. You did that for like comedy tapes that you wasn't supposed to be watching because it had bad language, and you also did that for porn. <laughs> when your brother had some porn, you would watch his porno tape, but you you had to like watch it and then go back to the point where clearly he had bust off because uh, you wanted to make sure that you you didn't let it be known that you was watching the the porno tape. So this is this is old school shit. This is back back in the day. This is. This is pre-smartphone uh, era, guys. This is old school shit. Like I said, I'm 44. I'm not afraid to tell you my life. But I used to watch this Eddie Murphy delirious thing till I was fucking delirious. Like, I literally knew every bit of his, of his uh, act. I knew the whole entire act. So Eddie Murphy was like, to me, my, my entry point into stand-up comedy. Fucking love Eddie Murphy. To this day, I, I hold him into a very high esteem. But through that, I want and I kind of went into my history. Now, at the time that Eddie Murphy was doing stand-up, Richard Pryor was doing movies, and I had seen some of his movies. I didn't, I, I didn't really know that he was a stand-up till after the fact, as a little kid. But then I started to get into Richard Pryor stand-up, and you know, I was just, just, just amazed. It was like you know. Like looking at genius level shit You know Just seeing The way that he would bring you into A, a place You know he would, he would set the scene up And take you to The place when, where, when he shot his car When he burned himself Like he would go into these dark places And things that he did in his life About drugs And, and you know what, what, the, what the byproduct of that was And he would find these Incredibly funny stories to tell you and it would be in such detail and he would he would play these characters as a part to differentiate himself from the other person so like he was like he was a one man movie in a sense the way he would you know paint these pictures for us and so I want to talk about my top five comedians and basically you already know the first first two And that's Eddie Murphy And Richard Pryor I mean I don't think Eddie Murphy nowadays Gets the love that he deserves For for How great a stand-up comedian he, he, he is I think veteran stand-ups Always respect Eddie I think Eddie was the You know in a lot of ways the guy That kicked the door open That Richard Pryor had cracked You know, I think Eddie deserves maybe a little bit more flowers um, in terms of the respect level he should be giving for his stand-up. And obviously we have Delirious, we have Raw, but I I want you guys, after you hear this, I want you to go to YouTube and I want you to uh, YouTube Eddie Murphy's stand-up on The Tonight Show. This is back with Johnny Carson. I think it's about six minutes and thirty-seven seconds, and this is not the uh, the raw or the delirious. There's no leather suit, no you know tight leather outfit, no glove with a ring on top, no rock star shit. This is Eddie Murphy in a suit, looking very late night TV at the time. This is in the '80s, 
think he was about 19, 20 years old. The best stand-up I've ever seen in my life. Completely clean. I mean, he is just in such a zone. This is um, SNL Eddie. And he is just in such an incredible zone. I think it's like required viewing for anybody that loves stand-up comedy. You know, I think it's it's really some of his best work. I mean, obviously, you know, Delirious is a classic. Raw is a classic. Those stories about Aunt Bunny and Delirious and Umfufu in Raw. I mean, those are things that are part of our lexicon now. They, you know, they're just a part of our history. But those six minutes and 37 seconds of Eddie Murphy on The Tonight Show is quite possibly some of the best shit I've ever seen. Ever seen. And then we're going to get into... The other three of my top five And Number three So we got Eddie Murphy Richard Pryor Number three Is Damon Wayans Senior I know The nephew Junior Is out there doing his thing now And he is quite a brilliant uh, Comedian Big shout out to Damon Wayans Junior Every time I see him you know, it's a, it's, I'm amazed by Damon Wayans Jr., but it's a, and I'm amazed only because he chose to do something that his father is so great at. I remember when I first met Marlon and I got a chance to see his brother Damon do stand up. Uh, I think we were somewhere downtown in the village. Maybe it was a comedy cellar or something like that, but it was just otherworldly. It was otherworldly. I mean, Damon Wayans, like, I, I know we, we know Damon now for, you know, for the television version of Lethal Weapon, and for, but, you know, and, and for some of those classic uh, sketches he did in The Living Color with Homie the Clown, you know, all the stuff they did. I mean, he's a, a great sketch comedian as well. But Damon Wayans as a stand-up is, I mean, he's on par with... Eddie Murphy and Richard Richard Pryor. I mean, he's one of the great stand-ups of our time. And I had a front row seat to it because I was his little brother's best friend. I used to watch him in his house, like, you know, go through go through jokes and, and write stuff. And we used to go to, I remember when I first moved out here, we would go to Santa Monica where he lived at the time. And, you know, in the mornings, that's how he kind of started his day. And I was just amazed by one by his process the way he um the way damon you know put his energy into being a stand-up comedian and then i would see it later on in the, in the next couple of days or maybe sometimes even that night i would see him do these things he had just written earlier in the day and even though he was working it out there was such a polish to damon and the way he would spit these things out and I just was, you know, I'm amazed by him to this day. Every time I see him, I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like their family, but I'm still amazed by Damon Wayans um, and the comedian he is. So that's my number three. My number four is another comedian who I grew up on, who I just, I absolutely adore. Uh, she's no longer with us. But my number four comedian is Joan Rivers. Joan Rivers later in life became known for doing like these um, fashion remix shows and, you know, like kind of like cracking jokes on people for wearing weird outfits on the red carpet. But, you know, as a stand up comedian, 
there's nothing quite like Joan Rivers. She's she's she did it for for so long at such an incredibly high level. I mean, she was you know the 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 one that was trusted with taking the Tonight Show when Johnny wanted to take off. Joan Rivers, I mean, she's just a legend, a legend in the comedy game. So the thing about Joan Rivers that's so dope is you know she did all these amazing things, but you know later in life she became kind of more known for getting a lot of plastic surgery. Let's be honest, like. She had like One of those real like My face doesn't move Kind of faces And I love Joan Rivers But she She went too far With the plastic surgery And like you know So her her career Went into a different space But it, to, to truly appreciate Her journey You guys should Make sure you Take a look at her A documentary It's called Joan Rivers A piece of work And it's just this Revealing documentary that follows the life and career of Joan Rivers and it just it explores her early years in the comedy industry and it touches on her longtime professional relationship with Johnny Carson. Um, it's a lot of lot of stuff, a lot of nuanced stuff going on in that in that documentary. But you get to see the life of a comedian. I mean she obviously lived it to its highest level. But you see her literally at her age at the time still going to work out her jokes and going to spitball stuff and just working on trying to get booked and stay in the game it's 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 a really really great um documentary so i really want you guys to check out joan rivers documentary it's called a piece of work and for my fifth my fifth in the top five comedians is currently probably the biggest dog in the game from my perspective and that's Dave Chappelle Dave Chappelle is you know Dave fucking Chappelle Uh, Dave and I have been friendly for years I remember Dave and I used to be in the same uh, agency when I was an actor in New York City (laughs) and I remember first time I ever met Dave Chappelle I was going to my agent's office to pick up a check I had done some commercial and there was like a a check there for me and I went to go pick it up and I remember I walk into the office and Dave is there and Dave was excited to see me <laughs> and I didn't know who this nigga was I mean this is before he was Dave Chappelle this is this dude from Baltimore that was signed to my agency and probably I, if I'm being dead honest I was like well who's this nigga here to take my spot <laughs> I probably wasn't too happy to see him but he was like all smiles and you know just all friendly because he, he knew me from the movie Juice So he was like Happy to know that he was in an, in an agency That had a black dude That was in a movie he had seen a million times And so we talked We became friendly And and I would see Dave throughout You know throughout these years And obviously he's become This, this mega super Duper star Rock star comedian dude Obviously, Chappelle's show was um, groundbreaking in terms of what him and Neil Brennan uh, did uh, for the game. And but Dave, as a comedian, is like watching. I never got a chance to see Miles Davis or John Coltrane, but Dave is like a musician on stage. Dave is like you're watching like a genius 
work it out and find the funny in real time. And what's so crazy, like I remember last time I saw Dave, it was a, it was like a Saturday night. I'm at Marlon's house. <clears throat> was about to go home and he was like, yo, Dave's in town. And anytime Dave's in town, it's like, you got to see Dave. You got to go hang out with Dave. But I didn't know that I was going to see him perform. He was at the uh, at the comedy store in the belly room. And so we got there and it, when we walk into like there's this um, back like underground bar that I didn't even know existed till till Dave took me in there before. Dave is in there. Chris Rock is in there. Who's an, uh, another guy? He's, he's probably number six on my list. But if I gotta do top five, Dave is top. Dave is the fifth. And then so I see um, Dave, and we're talking, and you know he's, you know, smoking cigarettes and being Dave, cool ass fucking Dave Chappelle. And I'm like, so what? You, what so how long are we doing, Dave? And I kind of asked because like with Dave, like I say, sometimes he's trying to find it, and sometimes with Dave. He'll be on stage for three hours. <laughs> Dave will be on stage for a long fucking time. And I just wanted to know, to gauge exactly how long I was going to be out and about. Because, you know, I'm married. My wife be looking for me. <laughs> uh, so I wanted to find out what was going on. And Dave would looked at me very honestly. He was like, you know what? I don't know. And I knew, I knew instantly that he did not know. He was really going to try to go and find it on stage. And we went upstairs. We went to go. See, uh, Chris actually opened for Dave, which was crazy. Matter of fact, it was Neil Brennan, who was Dave's, who was Dave's writing partner on Chappelle Show, who's a very, very funny comedian in his own right. Then Neil Brennan brought up Chris Rock. Chris Rock did like... This hot 10 minutes Where he was just Spitting stuff out You could tell Chris didn't have Like this is after his special So you know He didn't have He was just Being pop cultural He was up there Just kind of spitting But it was still brilliant Because it's Chris Rock And then Dave comes on And Dave is like There's like an energy there's, like, there's, there's a roar That Dave elicits From people Because you know You're in The room with somebody Who is just like Brilliant I remember I was doing stand-up one night at the comedy store. And I was in the belly room. I was doing Crack Up Thursdays. I was hosting. And then I heard the roar from the crowd downstairs in the original room. And I know only one comedian in the world gets that kind of roar. And that's Dave Chappelle. And that Dave is universally recognized, I think, is one of the best that we currently have in our sport. And... Um, I, I love to watch him I love the fact that he's um, Still going And I love the fact that You know I walk away from Dave's performances Learning something Dave is so smart Like you know In the midst of Him being so funny He's so intelligent You can you can just You can tell from his material How well read he is And how informed he is Like Dave is like Genius smart And he We're lucky to To have a guy like that Who carries the torch of what uh, Richard and Eddie did And uh, you know It's just uh, amazing to watch Amazing to watch And uh, So that's my top five That's my top five Top five is Eddie Murphy Richard Pryor 
Damon Wayans, Sean Rivers, and Dave Chappelle. Now, I know I have a lot of comedian friends, and I don't want none of y'all to get upset about shit. I mean, these are just the guys that are my top five. And I think it's a pretty banging list. <laughs> like, you really can't get mad. But I do have a lot of current comedians that I'm, I'm big fans of. I'm talking about all-time top five, and, and that is my top five. And since we're doing top fives, the one thing about being a black person that's into hip-hop is that you have these debates, these conversations. Like, you know, we just... We're in, the, we're in the throes of being on the tail end of the Drake versus Pusha T. And, you know, it's always like, well, who's the who's the top dog? Like, who's the number one? Who's the who's the king of New York? Or who's the who's the king of the South? And who, who's the, the the West Coast Don? Like, we, we everybody, all these different um, labels that need to be attached to certain MCs and certain rappers, right? So it's like, who are your top five all-time MCs? Now, it's so funny because when you ask this question, I think sometimes it breaks down to age. I'm 44 years old, right? So I literally remember seeing Sugar Hill Gang perform Rapper's Delight on this show called Wonderama in New York City. Like, I remember the day that song came out. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, that's how far I go back with hip hop. I, I go back to its original birth. I'm from Hollis Queens. I remember, you know, my brother telling me about Run DMC and and then finally hearing them on the radio. Like I, I was there, literally in the city, uh, the birthplace of hip hop, as it was being birthed. So my list is a little bit different than the 23, 23 year olds. You probably got Drake on your list. Not a bad thing. You probably have. Andre 3000 on your list Not a bad thing These guys are all Incredible MCs I mean I think The big problem with Stuck in the 90s niggas Like myself Versus the young dudes That I think We don't give y'all Enough credit I mean there's a lot Of credible MCs Out there in the game Right now There's the J. Coles There's the Pusha T's There's Drake's There's Kendrick There's A whole lot going on I'm 44 so my top five is going to be different than my 20-year-old sons. My 20-year-old son has actually a pretty good history of hip-hop. Like, when he was a little baby, like, I, I, I set my son up. When my son, Miles, was small, like, I remember getting him his first iPod. And my wife wanted to make sure that we put, like, you know, what what, what I say, kid-friendly music on there. Like, it had to be all, all the music had to be extremely kid-friendly. Right, but it was my son, and I wanted him to understand hip hop in a real way. So I kind of would put classic hip hop records on my son's iPod when he was a baby. So he would basically learn these songs through just memory. Like I would put like some kids' bop shit on there, and then I would put like um, Illmatic. (laughs) <laughs> and he would listen to it So my son has a vast uh, knowledge of, of hip-hop history But he is 20, year, 20 years old So he likes what he likes He likes that future stuff He likes, you know, trap music and that, it's, it's of his era So, but me 
most of the times when you're in my car, you'll hear me listening to one of these five dudes, my top five MCs, go in this order. Number one is Big Daddy Kane. Full disclosure, that's my big brother. Like Big Daddy Kane is um, literally somebody that kind of took me under his wing. Somebody who I've, you know, before I was before I got to know him, I was a fan of him, and then we got cool um, after Juice came out, and then I became like a like a little brother to him. Like we became family. You know, I I would stay at his house. Um, you know, have amazing love for his uh, his his parents and his little brother Shane, one of my best friends. So Big Daddy Kane, all that aside, just being a family member, is one of the nicest MCs in hip hop history. Like bar none. He's uh, incredibly versatile. He, he he doesn't have one method of attacking a song. He can rock it slow. He can be up tempo. He can he can spit fast as shit. He, uh, he can do that player shit. He can do R and B like he's like a universal soldier. And in terms of hip hop, he has no limitations. And you know if you if you ever seen this motherfucker perform, he's one of the best hip hop performers we've ever had. Like. Just on stage Like the motherfucker dances To this day He's a little older But the motherfucker Stays in good shape And he still puts on A hell of a show So Big Daddy Kane That's my number one Of my top five MCs My number two Is the God Rock him There's you know, no way around it Probably the The father To many niggas styles I think Will Smith Still owes him money For summertime <laughs> Because he literally just took Rakim's flow for summertime. But Rakim is just, you know, another level. Like when, when I talk about how Dave Chappelle is like a jazz musician on stage, Rakim is very much like that lyric. You know, he's he's the flow. And, you know, there's, there's nothing quite like his voice. There's nothing quite like his, his the, the, the delivery. And just the, the pictures he paints is just, uh, he's just... Amazing, like you know, you listen to his, his shit, and it's just like it's like the fact that other rappers came out after Rakim is a testament to their own uh, confidence. Because like you hear a motherfucker that's that ill, it make you want to do something different. Like Rock Rakim is just that nice. So that's my number two. My number three is if I have to, if Rakim ever fathered. Like he fathered many MC styles, but if, if if he was if he ever had a son, in terms of hip hop, I would have to say number three is that his son, and that's Nas. Nas from Queensbridge. Nas is one of the niggas that you know just lyrically is you know continues to get better. Like what I like about hip hop is that I'm talking about guys that have been doing it for a while, and. Lyrically, they continue to grow. They continue to get better. And there's no better example of that than not. I mean, from Illmatic to now, you know, there's just something about this guy. He's just, you know, he's the, he's the, fa- the son of a jazz musician, Olu Dara, who I actually, I'm, I know Nas's dad. I did a play, uh, an off-Broadway play, when Olu Dara was the um, musical director. So I got a chance to meet him And I remember him telling me about his son who could rap And I was like yeah you know you just hearing this story I didn't know he was talking about fucking Nas You know like you'll find as you listen to my, my podcast Like there's a con- I have a connection to weird shit <laughs> Like I'm like a hip hop Forrest Gump 
Like I'm always in shit and around shit. And one day I'll tell you the story of how I'm on the Wu Tang first album. <laughs> like I'm 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 weird with where I find myself at in certain places throughout my life. And it it it, it never ceases to amaze me. My life sometimes sounds like a lie. But anyway, I met Naz's dad. He told me about his son. And if you listen to my podcast, I did talk about when Illmatic first came out. I heard it four months before it dropped, uh, thanks to Omar Epps being in the right place at the right time and getting a copy of it. And Illmatic is still, you know, just a classic. But, you know, Nas has continually done amazing things. And then when he got pressed by Jay, he gave us Ether and just was reborn. And even up to uh, Life is Good, um, a lot of tracks he did with Salam Remy, my boy Salam. You know, it's just like Nas is just, he's amazing. He's, 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 he's half man, half amazing. That's what he is. Nas is, Nas is like, that's what he's like. Niggas half man, half amazing. And uh, that's my number three. My number four is, you know, he might be higher on some people's list, but my number four is Jigga Man. Ho, over the guy, Jay-Z. Beyonce husband. <laughs> I love Jay, man. I love Jay for everything he is lyrically, but also what he is as a businessman and what he's done to push hip hop forward in terms of business. I, I think him and Puff, when when it all is said and done, their their, their contributions to hip hop is almost bigger than music. Literally, a businessman, <laughs> like he said in his in his songs, like he's you know he, he he's taken the reins of his own career. And if you if you go into the history of Jay, you know, like you know, he he tried to shop reasonable doubt to everybody, and nobody wanted. And he didn't accept no. Him and um, Dame Dash and uh, Biggs Burke didn't accept no. And so, thankfully, they did. They they didn't uh, just accept the no because now, years later, we have Jay Z. This you know mega billion dollar you know incredible lyricist who is you know at the same time the thing about Jay is like he started out almost like this New York grimy you know and lyrical he was he was like you know the brother to to, to Biggie Smalls so he had that, that them, them drugs them drug raps but if you look at his body of work and how his shit has evolved and you know to hear reasonable doubt and then to hear 444, it's the same guy. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's the same guy. But I think the beauty of Jay's career outside of the business, when you just get down to the bars, is like he's been able to evolve in a beautiful way. And he's still going. He's, you know, currently on on the run too with his wife. And, you know, they, you know, I think they're about to drop another album or something, something's going on. Cause it's just too much heat around that couple and then you know like again he did all that and then he married Beyonce like how does he do all of this shit <laughs> this nigga is amazing this nigga is amazing so uh that's my number four is Jay-Z and my number five now this is like I, you gotta do a top five is hard right but my number five is a guy who I continually am amazed by 
And I think, again, when we talk about giving cast their flowers while they're here, doesn't get the respect he deserves lyrically. And that's Redman. Redman is my number five. Redman will murder niggas on the microphone. And I don't think people really get his motherfucker credit. Um, I, I, I remember, like, for, for me, when Redman albums came out, that was literally like appointment television like I had to get it the first day um like I, I was like this is like again this is like a whole different era I'm talking about like having to be at the record store but when that shit open up to in order to get the new Redman and I just think Redman lyrically you need to like if you guys are a little bit younger and you listen to this podcast get into Redman yo like that's like a, a true lyrical assassin and he's just he's funny he's witty he's his his wordplay you know bar for bar i think he's you know um he he can tangle with anybody above him on my top five i think he he can do a song with any of these cats and 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 still shine i think he could do a song with kane he could do a song with rakim he could do a joint with jay he could do a joint with nas and he would just completely do his thing and hold his own you know so he's my he's my my fifth that's my fifth so just to recap my top five MCs are Big Daddy Kane, Rakim, Nas, Jay-Z, and Redman. Now, I know niggas. Like, I've given you my top five. So I know y'all gonna want to argue with me about this shit. So let's take this shit to social media. Hit me up on at Thought Vomit Podcast and let's really talk about it. Uh, what do you guys think about my top five? Hit me with your top five. Light up the pages on Twitter and Instagram And let's get into it My top 5 comedians My top 5 MCs And you know what That's just how we gonna We gonna break down this uh This episode of Thought Vomit Episode number 10 And we about to get the hell on out of here Once again Make sure you hit us up On Twitter At Thought Vomit Pod That's at Thought Vomit Pod And then you can catch us on Instagram and that's at Thought Vomit Podcast. They wouldn't let me get podcast on Twitter. So, fuck them. But anyway, uh, make sure you hit us up on, on the, those platforms. If you want to holler at me, hit me on at Mitch Marshawn. And that's at Mitch Marshawn on Twitter and Instagram. See, I got my, my whole name for both. But they wouldn't let me do it for my podcast. Fuck them. And uh, make sure you like our, our Thought Vomit page on uh, Facebook. You can hit me up on Facebook. I got to like, I got to like, Check you out though Like I don't put everybody On my Facebook But you can all We can all be friends On Thought Vomit uh, Podcast page Make sure you like it I send updates And um, Again This has been an amazing time Episode 10 We about to do some Incredible things In the coming months And um, Big shout out To everybody that's listening All over the world I appreciate you I got I value Your, your opinion Make sure you holler back at me I do talk back Like if you hit me up I will respond. Maybe not right away because I got shit to do, but I will respond. And again, I want to thank you all for um, continuing to support. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you tell a friend. This is Star Vomit. We out. We out.